There is a little-known 1997 Hollywood movie that perfectly predicts the war propaganda that we've seen around Ukraine and the Western proxy war on Russia. It also really perfectly predicts U.S. government propaganda on the war in Syria, the war in Libya, the two wars in Iraq, and many other conflicts. This movie is called Wag the Dog. It's not really well-known. It's kind of become a cult classic but I had a great time in this episode sitting down with a friend of mine, Sina Rahmani. He is the founder and the host of the excellent podcast, The East is a Podcast. I have a link to his show in the description below this video or this podcast if you're watching or listening. Definitely go check out his show. Sina and I sat down and we had a really fun discussion about this movie, Wag the Dog. And it's going to surprise you how many incredible parallels there are to this 1997 movie and the U.S. war in Iraq, which began in 2003, the U.S. war in Syria, which began in 2011, the U.S. war in Libya, also 2011, and the ongoing proxy war in Ukraine. So without further ado, I'm Ben Norton. This is my discussion with friend of the show, Sina Rahmani of the East is a Podcast. This is a special co co episode. We're doing it together. We're sharing this episode because it's. I think it. I think it speaks to a lot of our shared audience. Um, it's it's basically a kind of like story of astroturfing. I don't. I don't. They don't use the term in the in the movie, but um, and it's and it's very interesting. So, okay, we are here to talk about what movie, Ben? Wag the dog. This is a 1997, little known Hollywood movie, but a cult classic about a president who is facing a sex scandal after, you know, abusing a young girl. And his team tries to create a fake war in the media to rally the population so he can be reelected. And although it was made in 1997, it's, I mean, basically a documentary for, for every single U.S. war in the past 20 or 30 years, especially the war in Ukraine. It is crazy how many parallels there are between the ongoing proxy war on Russia and Ukraine and this movie from 1997. I mean, it's more relevant now than it was then. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it just, there's so many things. I mean, okay, so we should probably get into the plot of it. The basic plot, as you said, is that, yeah, he had, there's, this, there's, a, there's this political scandal two weeks before the election or, or like 11 days or something before, before, the, uh, before the election date. And the president, the sitting president, is basically a kind of like avatar for Bill Clinton. And this was a popular thing in the 90s. I think there's another movie along these lines that's kind of that's a kind of fake send up. It's primary colors. It's about it's kind of a fake Clinton movie. Um, and this guy is kind of like that. The president, he's actually a very, very minor character in this movie, if you at all. You never see his face, which is which yeah, is cool. Yeah, which is a very smart because thing. Because it shows who actually has power in Washington, <laughs> exactly. not the president. Exactly. And it's funny that at, so at the beginning they um this kind of the, that's the framing the framing device of this movie is that okay here's this here's the scandal this big name hot button political scandal that that will in fact become public it's not about keeping it out of the public eye because it will be public but it's about and the term they use is distraction it's about distracting people with this war what turns out what is a complete and utter fake war manufactured war called against Albania and 
the the real sort of plot of the movie is the production of this war and so there is the the basically the the you know the, the actual political part of it or like the political characters they're they're pretty minor and it's the deep state as it were and it's funny that at the beginning of the movie where they call in uh robert de niro's character conrad breen they call him in um the kind of top people in the administration the top political people uh they call him in and say and oh you're mr fix he's it. a public relations expert yeah, he's the kind of politician, Mr. Fixed-It kind of like, and they go deep down below whatever building they're in. Like, I think they're in the White House, actually. And they go deep down below, and it's this kind of like, it's this, you know, tongue-in-cheek, and this is, this is not the language at the time that we use, but it is a glance into the deep state and how it functions. It's like the room in, Doc, in Dr. Strangelove. That, yes. That's like basically yeah. the room. <laughs> basically. And so like that, this begins, and it's right there where you begin to learn that, like Robert De Niro's character, Conrad Breen, is this master political operator, and he's this he's this kind of spinner of narrative. Where he begins, he he like gets he gets kind of like uh, he gets kind of debriefed on what happens very quickly. It's very quick, and it's actually really good because you're you're kind of in his position for the for the beginning of the movie. You're like, oh, what happened? You're like, oh, and they explain it. It's it's a good narrative exposition tool. That well, opening. Just say, what happened is that. The president like sexually abused this teenage girl, a I mean, firefly girl who was visiting the is, White House. And and this movie, by the way, came out like mere days before the Monica Lewinsky scandal came out. So extremely That's prescient true. in many ways. <laughs> yeah, and so this so it's about so this guy Conrad Breen is manufactured to lead the production of this distraction, and the distraction that they choose he comes up with eventually is this uh, war with Albania, right? Um, and this is, this is where the, the movie sort of takes off. I mean, there's so many places we can go with this. I mean, maybe we should start with the, with the meaning of the title because uh, what did you, originally, I kind of didn't get it. I really didn't, I mean, I understood it literally, but I kind of didn't think about the sort of like nuances of it because, you know, Wag the Dog is, is a kind of like, um, you know, kind of, uh, turning on the head of of this expression of like a dog wagging its tail and it begins there's this kind of title card at the beginning it says uh why does a dog wag its tail and then the answer is because a dog is smarter than its tail and then there's a new title card and it says if the tail were smarter the tail would wag the dog what did you what did you kind of think of that title like what did you make of it well no i think it's a really good metaphor it's it's pretty clear the president is not actually in charge. It's all these other people behind the scenes. And, you know, you mentioned the deep state. So in this movie, you also get different intelligence agencies. The military gets involved. And of course, they're all involved to help rig this election, basically, for the sitting president. And then Hollywood gets involved. And you see the power of the U.S. cultural apparatus. Honestly, people talk about the U.S. military empire, the 800-some military bases around the world. Obviously... That's the main hard power keeping the U.S. empire on top, but also the U.S. soft power through Hollywood and horrible movies and TV shows, most of which are written with the input of the U.S. intelligence agencies and military. They are a huge part of this, and they're a huge part of maintaining the U.S. empire. So, I mean, they are wagging the dog. It's not the president that's, that's in charge. It's, you know, this Hollywood producer who gets brought in and and he's played by Dustin Hoffman. And he basically, throughout the movie, he's like, 
I'm the one in charge. This is my production, not the president. So like there's a part where like he has arguments with the president. Like there's this part where um they have they're they're making this fake video of this Albanian girl. Like like it's like a white helmets thing, right? And, me, and I immediately thought of the white helmets. We'll talk about that in a second. But they're making this fake video of an Albanian girl with a cat running from like fake bombing to try to like tug at the heartstrings of people in the US on the media. And there's this part where Dustin Hoffman, who's this Hollywood producer overseeing the production, he wants to have a cat that has like um like uh, different colors on like the cat's fur. And then the president wants the cat to be white. And then the producers, the, the Hollywood producer is like, this is my production, Mr. President. So it's showing that he's the one wagging the dog, right? And honestly, being a U.S. president does not give you that much power. Look at Joe Biden. That guy, he's the perfect symbol of it. He doesn't that do anything. That guy isn't even in charge of a can of tuna if he tried. That guy couldn't do anything. He's like this walking ghost. Well, so it's interesting. I never saw the wag the dog angle from that way. I was thinking about it today because I never, I never thought about the title very seriously. But there's also another thing of that, like a dog wags its tail as like a, the tail wagging is an expression of emotion. Right. It's saying it's communicating something. Right. And so one is one is the agent and one is the object of expression or kind of the uh, the the linguistic expression of that feeling. Right. So if a dog feel good or whatever, happy, they wag their tail. If they're interested. They wag their tail. Right. And so but then the inverse of this, which is and, and that's kind of the relationship between power and the media or like media and the people. Right. Is that the people are going to reflect. And that's kind of. What's at stake in this movie is something there's there's a kind of the overall arc of this is interesting because on the one hand, this was done before the internet, right? And so there are these there are these finite number of publications that they kind of navigate through and they have to kind of use those as the compass, like oh, Washington Post has it, New York Times has it, whatever. Typical kind of boomer thinking of like, what are the big venues? What are they saying? And that is a kind of barometer of the public, right? That is kind of an expression of something. However, is that this movie is about the the motion of history, which is the dog, right? Like the active subject of history is in fact being controlled by its supposed expression, right? Of the tail, is that the tail is telling the dog like what to do and where to go and how to and how to sort of feel. And so that's kind of like the way I took it is that the this this is about choreographing emotions. And the other thing about this, there's another thing about like the the nature of the the task at hand is that the one hand they have this kind of very 2000s framing which is oh nuclear terrorism that's going to destroy our way of life right which was by muslims by muslims right i mean of course that preceded the 2000s but that was like the logic of the 2000s was like oh it's defensive imperialism right it's like against these rogue states and of course that was before that was 80s too sure there was like the fear of libyan whatever but like the language of the 90s is famously like our, like the, you know, they love to use this term, the R2P, right? The right to protect. And so these movies well, conflate what, them. What's also very interesting about that is it also shows how much this, the politics have kind of shifted. In, in some ways it's the same, but in some ways it's a shifted, right? So in the movie, you never see the president's face. And at the beginning, when the scandal first breaks out, he's in China. And this is at the, of course, this is the 1990s, 1997. This is the moment of peak U.S. unipolarity when China was basically forced to take this subservient position to not be destroyed and overthrown like Russia was, like the Soviet Union was. So in the 1990s, of course, the U.S. has basically colonized Russia, overthrown the Soviet Union, this 
U.S. puppet Boris Yeltsin's in charge. And then China is forced to basically subordinate itself while it's trying to grow its productive forces and lying low and biding time. That's what Deng Xiaoping famously said, lie low and buy time. So China wasn't seen as like the so-called threat that it is now. So at the beginning of the movie, the president's in China and it's, it's not even like seen as a big deal. Whereas now, I mean, obviously the U.S. president would never just be hanging out in China, right? So in that time... There were no so-called threats to the U.S. empire. Instead, it was just like this vague idea of terrorism, and they had to create it, which is a perfect analogy for the war on terror that came a decade later, right? They had to create the myth of the terror threat that they used to justify what they're doing. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's, that's the story of like U.S. empires, that you manufacture the very sort of like, you know, video store cutout you know, cardboard cutout of like the action of the evil character who's going to who's going to come and murder you and your family like where they sleep. Right. And this is the classic. But in this movie that there's actually like two things, there's the there's the R2P argument and then there's the defensive imperialism because they are just what the goal of this isn't sort of any kind of rationality, obviously, like they're just making things up in the hopes of distracting the media. Right. That the media are seen as these outside actors. This is the this is the most bullshit thing about this movie, incidentally, is that if this movie were true, they would have way more people in that first room, or at least there would be a person who would be in charge of disseminating this to like hundreds, yeah, like hundreds of people who would then say like, oh, is this the talking point? Are we doing China and Uyghurs now? What's a Uyghur? Okay, like like there would be a kind of like relay at that point now. It's, it's, Cena, do you remember the the Obama White House visitor logs? And Thomas Friedman was in there like yeah, a dozen times. Yeah, all these, like David Ignatius, oh, all, all the journalists, they just hang out at the White House. Yeah. And they get told what to say. And it's, and it's and, you know, and it, like you think of that like, oh, it can't be like that. Like my own inclination is to be like, it can't be like that because it's more sophisticated. And at sometimes I'm like, yeah, the US, US ideological apparatus, whatever you want to call it, is more sophisticated because a lot of people buy into it without without the material sort of like material relation of say being a propagandist, right? A lot of people do the work of the US empire on their own for free and like are excited to do it. They're doing it ideologically. And that's, that's, the, that's the mark of a successful ideological operation, right? That like it can do that. Now, however, that there's this great point in the movie where he's talking about, oh, we did yellow ribbons, you know, and like, and they talk about the, the fact that during the, during the so-called hostage crisis, I mean, what do my, look at my episode, don't call it a hostage crisis. Um, is that the so-called hostage crisis in Iran, in the, in the U.S. embassy in Tehran, is that there is this spontaneous act of putting yellow ribbons around and everything. And and Haysha's character, who's kind of naive at the beginning, is like, oh, but that was some spontaneous thing, was that? And the kind of like, the implication is like, oh, that was AstroTurf too. And that was like, and you wonder like, oh my God, is that true? Like, well, of course it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, of course it's true, right? Like that, that the idea that there are these kind of natural cultural things that are outside of the power of marketing, which, as we all know, is very weak and very minor in our society, that marketing plays no role, that it only limits itself to hamburgers and radio radio sets and cars and stuff, that it never enters into our total political conversation, not at all. Um, and so like that's that for me at the outset was like, oh, that's interesting. There's the kind of and the best that scene with the woman who's um, it's Kirsten Dunst. It's a very young Kirsten Dunst. And they're like, there's this whole Kirsten Kirsten Dunst plays the Albanian girl yeah. who's pretending to be like uh, in this village that's being bombed, but she's just like in this big green screen, 
And instead of she's and like the, they, they want to have her holding a cat, but instead of a cat, it's a bag of chips. And they're like, "We'll fix it in post. Yeah. We'll change it in post." And they use special effects to make it look like she's running in a village in Albania. And they keep like changing the the sound behind her. Yeah. It's incredible. It's a, that and scene is so Tina, good. In that I entire love that scene, scene, yeah, I kept thinking of the white helmets. Yes. Like that is literally That's what they did with the white helmets. Well, the people who made that white helmets movie never stepped foot stepped foot in Syria. They never went to Syria. The people who got the award for it, it was perfect. It's as if they're telling you, it's like, yeah, this was a creation of the West. We got a bunch of footage from these freak, like you know, ISIS guys, and we're gonna turn them into first responder heroes. Like, never forget, I mean, I'll put the footage here, the footage yeah. of the White Helmets yeah. doing the Mannequin Challenge, mannequin challenge. which was the greatest gift they ever gave us because it's like, by the way, we have every, you know, skill that we need to, to fake these videos. So how do we know which one is real and which one's fake? And that was not a mistake. They did that. that I refuse to believe that was a mistake. They do. The U.S. Empire signals its own fictitiousness. Like, like I'm, a, I'm like a literary person by training, and so you're just you're trying to like understand like what, how does this work? There's no model for ideology that I can use to understand this because on the one hand you have the crass, what we think of as the crass Soviet information style, where you had this official place where that would that had these sinews connected to the state, and then they would disseminate information, and like that's I mean that's probably wrong. That's not how it was. I'm sure it wasn't as stupid as that, but that's our image of it, right? But the U.S. has that. The U.S. does have that. It's a bit. It's a bit hidden. It's not as. It's not as thing. But like, actually, it's not even hidden. They called it embedded journalism, anyways. So like, the U.S. does that. We know that. And the idea. And then on top of that is that, what are the actual actors of the news? Right. The so-called fifth estate. The what constitutes the fifth estate. And this is like the liberal belief is that you have these people who are outside of power supposedly, who are who have taken upon themselves to track power and all of its actions. And then they're paid presumably by news corporations, which are vying for these, which are vying for these radical news that will get people's attention, right? Like this is the liberal mind thinking is that, okay, if you pay a bunch of people some money to go track down dirt on politicians, this is how we do democracy. And this is how you get never ending documentary about, oh, the pay, like whatever, Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers and the fucking whatever, the dummy twins, uh, what are they called? Humpty and Dumpty, the Washington Post guys. I can't remember. Bob Bernstein Woodward and Carl Finkelmeyer. I don't even care. Bernie Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> like, like that's how you get this vaunted status of guys like that, right? Like these these muckracking journalists. But what are we talking about in reality? Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. One family, what are they called? Salzburgers, whatever. One family owns, one liberal Democrat family owns the New York Times, right? Like Bill, like Bill, uh, Microsoft guy. I can't remember his name for a second. Bill Gates is like owns Vox and a ton of other stuff. Like this is a handful of guys who own who own the media apparatus and it's in their interest to go along with the US state. It's not in their interest to rock the boat and be like, "Oh, there's a dirty war in Syria, guys. Don't boost it." Like it's not in their interest, so they just like follow the stream. So we're in this weird way of like you have the Wait, highly You mentioned Bob Woodward. Go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. I mean, even them like these guys are credited for Watergate. Watergate, which was, by the way, a CIA operation. And if people should look up Bob, Bob Woodward's links to the CIA, like he was a poster boy for the CIA, basically. And then also Carl Bernstein. I mean, 
he was a little more independent than Woodward, but he had a very friendly relationship with the CIA. So even like these heroes that are seen as like examples of supposed muckraking journalism are just fed this stuff by the, the, the national security state. For their own reasons as well, right? Like Woodward and Bernstein had a source. It was Mark Felt, whatever. Who knows who put Mark Felt up to it? Now, of course, the liberal, the liberal imagination refuses to kind of imagine that things like Wag the Dog exist. They just refuse. I've just seen this in action, like online and stuff and how people talk. And like, they just like, they'll say the fact that, okay, there was this, what was it? What was the group that the Ch Lynn Cheney and one of the, I think it was Elliot Abrams. It was like the Syria group. Like that was a, that was a group. There was a group of people who sat down there like, how can we destroy this 5,000 year old country? Like, how can we do that? What, what, what assets do we have? And that's what they did. And it was carried on. It was continued by Obama. It was actually enacted by Obama and company. Like there's a passing of the baton and then it was continued by Trump in the form of Caesar sanctions and outrageous acts of, you know, giving the green light to the Israelis to do their, you know, daily, you know, every 10 day terrorism sprees with their. And occupying the oil rich regions and then Trump just uh, saying out openly, keep the oil. We're there to keep the oil. Probably proclaiming it like we went from and people. And then, of course, there is the, the even crazier aspect of all this is that 20 years after the invasion of Iraq, the second invasion where an entire global, you know, uh, coalition came together and said, no, said, we don't buy no blood for oil. It's turned into like, well, it's, it's a dirty civil war. Sorry, folks, people arguing for the dirty war, like the, like proudly sort of, so like there is a, ideologically, I would say the U.S. is stronger in its imperialism. If, if you want to say that strength is, is measured by the amount of capital I influence over Let's say mainstream media. Now, mainstream media, the meaning of it has changed since 20 years, right? 20 years ago, we didn't have social media. 20 years ago, we didn't have, you know, this necrotic media system. Like you still had these legacy newspapers. You still had legacy news channels, which are, you know, I guess you still have them now, but they have a fraction of their power. But like, I guess what this movie was so interesting is that you get to see or you get to imagine how these things are cooked up. And you see the kind of like all-star team of people put together of talents of there's the music guy. There's like Dennis Leary's character. Who's played by Willie Nelson. Yeah, Willie Nelson. <laughs> there's like, there's like the obligatory, like, you know, um, group, like high, like group song, right? Like ensemble song of people. Live Aid. Aid. Like there's, all those Live Aid songs they beautiful. did. Beautiful. They bring together yeah. all the celebrities to sing like each one line in this really <laughs> crappy song. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And the lyrics are like, how great democracy yeah. is and, and long live American democracy. And of course, they're singing for this fake war yeah. to prop up a president who's rigging the election. Yes. And that's what they mean by great American democracy. It's so it's good. perfect. Like this, sat, like this is such good satire. Like they're so because I think Americans don't produce good satire because like because of the level of ideology enforcement upon them where like they can't say anything nice about any of their enemies to begin with, but they can only kind of lampoon their own class. And even then to a certain extent, right? That like you can make fun, like Stephen Colbert and them can make fun of Trump all they want, but when it comes to one of their own, Obama, they fall in line, right? Like they all, right? And like, and I guess there is the unique thing in this movie of like the unique role of liberal Hollywood because Hollywood is liberal. Like it is a liberal bastion. It's a solidly liberal institution of like the American, of like the American, whatever, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is, like culture industry, like it is dominated by liberals. And 
like unabashedly and there's absolutely no way their power could be broken over it and so like inside of that you get to see how there is this curated material for different kinds of audiences because there is this sort of like heart tugs like like heart tugging stuff of like oh the girl who just escaped being raped by terrorists holding the like tostitos bag and then there's like the scene later where they go and greet a mother and they give this oh the the first sheath of the wool, which is like what Robert De Niro just makes up. He just like makes up these cultural things. And then, but then there's later, they bring it to a more, let's say like down home, like country boy audience where they bring this war hero home and he's supposed to represent played by uh, Woody Harrelson. And he's some deranged, like US sicko mercenary murdering psycho. And because his name is Schumann, they find him and they use him because it, it curates nicely with their song, which was like good old shoe. And so like they wrote the song first and then they found a guy to play the role that the song plays. And then it turns out he's a complete psycho. Well, even better seen it. So, it, I mean, I, I love it. It shows how everything is fake. Everything is completely artificial. So they get Willie Nelson to come in to write a song and they're like, make it sound like an old country song from the 1930s. And then they put it in the Library yeah. of Congress as if it's from the 1930s. <laughs> yeah. so then, and, then they, and then they send it to the media. And the media is like, wow, someone discovered this song that's from the Library of Congress from the 1930s about William Shue. I mean, everything is fake. But you know what I love about this movie, though, is that, Sina, there's, this, there's a few times where the presidential aide, this like young woman who works for the president, she keeps saying to the Hollywood producer and to Robert De Niro's character, who's so Dustin Hoffman is the Hollywood producer. De Niro is the the PR guy. And she keeps saying to him, yeah, but that's not true. And they're like, you don't get it. It doesn't matter that it's not true. We, we create reality, which is, of course, exactly what the Bush administration was saying. Remember, like during the Iraq war, they were like, yeah, we create reality. Yeah. And that's and it's actually that's that's the most cutting thing of this movie. It, it seems dumb now because we're so like matrix pilled like art especially our generation like we like we're like that that sense of, of like the way that people say like oh this is all a simulation even that itself is like hackneyed because it's not a simulation it's actually very real these people are very real they're not fake like they're they're human beings and you can see them right there and they're flesh and blood and whatever Kavanaugh lives in a house it's all very normal but people I think that especially in our kind of like we're we're oversaturated in information and textuality all the time. Like we have it thrown at us. And so we can only navigate it through, you know, like allusions to the West Wing or something that like, oh, we can only make sense of it through like our shared cultural text, you know? And like the way that this movie, then you see how those shared cultural things are wholly manufactured, very cynically and car and like divided up and packaged. Like it's, you know, like it's some perfect, you know, like Hello Fresh or whatever meal, like one of those meal packet kits. Like it's so orchestrated and it's like so utterly sinister that it can, you know, that it, that its fictionality is so like in, enforced and so like obvious for us that like, that like, you know, like I just think of like Justin Trudeau going to the Toronto Pearson Airport to welcome this like handpicked batch of Syrian refugees who are like victims of this dirty war supported by his elk and and also the Canadian state as well in in compliance sort of working in lockstep with the media apparatus 
So like these people are like they're meeting the people who helped cook up their situation and they're forced to like take pictures with them. And you're like, what is the difference between that and Saddam Hussein? Like like sitting with that American kid. Right. Is that that's America? That's Saddam Hussein meeting with a hostage. But Justin Trudeau meets with this nice little refugee and it's this heartwarming scene. I mean, you can put a picture in here and there's a ton of them. Right. And there's a ton of refugee porn. I mean, that's the is that that's the kind of mind blowing is that there is a there is propaganda for every variety of liberal of subject of our society that the sub that these that this propaganda and like this kind of information war is tailored for every different kind of audience. And it comes to us via the channels that are dedicated to us. And it's all very choreographed and it's all very orchestrated. Like I remember, and you can, I mean, if you want, you can put this in too. Sorry, I'm creating work for you. But I remember the, the ridiculously good looking Syrian rebel, right? This is a meme. Okay. This is a meme that was first posted on Reddit of like a guy holding like an RPG. He wasn't even good looking. He was just some like regular looking like Syrian guy. He just didn't look like a bearded Salafi freak the way we think of like, oh, Arabs are these ugly human beings. And oh, wow, here's one that looks normal. And so like this got the guy to qualify as ridiculously good looking, which is, and it became this whole meme. And you know, there were articles about it in foreign policy, Ben. There was an article about a meme in foreign policy. You can look it up. You can clip it here if you want. And there was a 10, there was like four different articles. If you type in ridiculously good looking Syrian rebel meme, you will find four articles all published within like a week or 10 days of each other. And it's like, could you guys try to make it less, like look less coordinated? That like somebody sent out an either like, we need 10,000 words on this stupid fucking meme cooked up in New York somewhere. Like, like that's astroturfing live. Like that is actual astroturfing. Maybe we should talk about the term astroturfing because it is an American term and it actually has American resonance. Because people don't know what astro or turf is. It actually is a real thing. Maybe you can do it. Yeah, and I mean, astroturf is the fake grass that, that are used in sports stadiums. So obviously, it's a lot of work to maintain real grass. And especially if you're like playing outside in the summer and the winter. So you just use like this fake grass, which is called astroturf. And that's exactly how all of these, you know, NGOs fund so-called civil society and they fund so-called you know protests and movements and all this stuff it's complete astroturfing it's fake grass it's not grassroots it's fake grass it's astroturfing and the media plays such a huge role in this now i mean i, I wrote down a few of these quotes cena because some of these quotes were amazing when like i said there's in this movie you see a lot of arguing between the, the president again who's faceless i love the fact you never see his face it's just this faceless figurehead who has no real power and, and there's this part where he's arguing and the hollywood producer is complaining because the president says the war ended right and the hollywood producer says this is exact quote in the movie the war isn't over until i say it's over and then he's talking about the president and he says he can't end the war i'm producing it talk about astroturfing i mean they get a hollywood producer one of the most powerful people in society right not, not a politician. They're not, pol they're not powerful. Hollywood producers. They're the ones who decide what people think and see, especially in this era now. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, like with COVID and people like locked inside more. People interact often more online and more with movies and TV shows than they do with real people in, in person, right? So the horrible garbage that we consume like on Netflix 
and HBO and all this, and Disney Plus or whatever. Like for a lot of people, that has more of an impact on them than real life does because they don't even interact in flesh and blood with a lot of people anymore. And there's obviously there's a lot of bad things there. It's, I'm not saying that it's all like dystopian and like I'm not saying that there are good things and bad things, right? But it's, in, it's incredible the power that the culture industry, and it's an industry, has on people. It's not done for, you know, uh, for, for the good of society. It's done to make money and to advance you know, certain in government interests. The line, and the, this is the great sort of thesis between this, of this movie, is that the line between like news and entertainment is, is completely fake and never has existed. That like, especially in a place, in a place like the US where it has a large population that has easy access to all kinds of different, different kinds of information. And let's say a certain, a certain elite access to different kinds of information in the sense that like, we have fast internet, we have the word, we have the English language also on our side. So there's a ton of like resources, a huge chunk of the world speaks in English. So you have all these things going for it. But then if you're, if you're like a, if you're like an evil deep state operative of the US empire, like how can we ensure that we don't have too much thought crime? Like, oh, let's, let's create, let's create like all kinds of alternatives. Let's create a kind of broad spectrum of political beliefs that can counteract, that we can call upon now, you know, in the case of that, because there is, you know, there's, there's always like two kinds of information. There's, there's two sides to information war. There's the information war that's intended for domestic consumption. And then there's the one for export, right? That then is then exported to those foreign countries like Lebanon. Lebanon is a, just, a, just a bloodbath of NGOs and fake, like, fake astroturfed organizations just, uh, just running with them. And they're, off, they're very common, right? Because it's a cheap way to get, it's a good way to get a job. You don't need to run a ton of people. You don't need to rent an office, right? Like you can make anything look like anything else. And this is, this is like the lesson that I come back to again and again, is that we, because of the importance of what you were saying, the importance of this data in our life of like these pixels and this audio and these movies and texts and whatever, like the importance of these things to our lives, because we are limited to our communities, that we are limited by like the fact that we're overworked and we are, you know, that like we don't have vacations, that like whatever. So we rely upon these means of communication and these kinds of textualities to put it in a stupid American, stupid academic way, but like that we rely on this like cultures of text to then build our understanding in the world and our own political selves, right? It becomes so important to push hard on good and bad countries, right? Like country good, like it's good that, you know, this country did this and it's good that this, that this leader did that, right? And usually, you know, and then, but then it's the more important thing is that, oh, there are all these bad countries, right? That China is one of them, Russia is one of them. I mean, we, like we have just seen, like in the last three months, we have seen the complete hypocrisy of the entire sort of Western liberal order in the sense that you have all these people who are, who say these things that, oh, country X clo and closes journal, like doesn't allow for free flow of information. Like country Y shuts down, like shuts down political discussion. Like that's all the things that the first thing the U.S. did. It shut down RT. It shut down like and everywhere in the world. RT was the most popular t uh, news outlet in all of Latin America. Everywhere, like Google, it also shows the power of these big tech corporations. Google was just like turned off the switch and said no more Russian media. 
Like, and, and, and all those principles go out the door, right? Like, right away. I mean, on the subject of Russia and Ukraine, we have to talk about the parallels to Ukraine and Zelensky and all of this. I mean, the entire time I was watching this movie, I just kept thinking about Zelensky. This guy is, he is the embodiment of Wag the Dog, right? Zelensky, for people who don't know, he had a TV show. He's an actor. And the reason he became famous is because Zelensky had this crappy TV show. I watched every episode. It's on um, HBO. And I think it used to be on Netflix, might still be. It's called Servant of the People. It's this like low budget, awful TV show that was made in Ukraine. And it was funded by these very same billionaire oligarch who funded his political campaign. So in this TV show, uh, Zelensky is this actor. Uh, he's an actor, of course. But in the TV show, he plays a teacher, a high school teacher. And then he has this rant like against corruption. It's this like dumb, stupid, like so-called populist rant with like no actual political content other than like corruption. It's always corruption. Corruption is always the thing. Like, oh, corrupt government, cover our government. We want change. We want change. But it's never sort of narrated any specific. Yeah, and it's this vague idea. Like, of course, everyone's against corruption, but it's so vague that you can use it to push any political position you want. So his like student in this TV show, Servant of the People, his student films Zelensky, this his teacher, giving this rant, and then it goes viral on social media, and then he ends up becoming like, and it's not really clear. Like someone like writes him in as candidate. And then he accidentally wins the election and he becomes president. And then he's a completely incompetent president, by the way, in this TV show. And he implements like IMF neoliberal structural adjustment programs. And he just like, he's an awful president, but he's not corrupt. So like, that's how he became popular, Zelensky. And then he created a political party that was funded by the billionaire oligarch who funded that TV show. And then the political party that Zelensky was created was called Servant of the People, which is literally the name of his TV show. And then he won the election. And then immediately when he came in, he just did a 180 on all his promises. He claimed he wanted peace with Russia. He spoke Russian on the political campaign, on the presidential campaign. And then immediately he comes in, he does a 180, and he's a loyal servant of Washington, not of the people. He's a U.S. puppet. And now we see Zelensky is like, He's not even, he's not a real president. He, all he is, is he, he's like, he's a media figure. He appears on TV screens and he pretends like he's leading the country, which is actually being led by the U.S., the U.S. puppet regime and the military services, which are like chock full of these fascists and far-right extremists. And then Zelensky just like appears on Zoom calls all day. Talking his, to like, like Stanford graduates and like, just like catering to liberals. That's what's crazy is that like he's doing this non-stop media tour for liberals specifically like because because what's funny is that like the nature of u.s elections right and like people sort of political affiliations is that well i hate war but this is the war my guy waged so i'll support it right so like republicans republicans are against generally against or more against this war even though they love war and they're happy to go along with things and they you know but they because I think for some, at least, at least they're kind of media figures. They like Putin because he's anti-liberal, right? And so they like that he like sticks it to liberals. And it's also the fact that like he makes them see red. So there's like a weird affiliation with him. And, and, and even if it's not even with him, that there is this, there is this hypercritical, correctly critical of the U.S. empire's role in, 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 in Ukraine. Now, let's see them apply that to the rest of the world. They won't do that. It's convenient now. We all know that it's not principled there. 
whatever, like Biden or what, not Biden. Um, I can't remember one of the Trump sons. Like, I think that they all, they all are like eating up, but it's only just like political opportunism, like everything in the U S like, it's just, it's just for now, if they get into power tomorrow, they would completely, because we know that who controls foreign policy in the U S it's the CIA. Okay. It's not, it's not like, or at least it's factions within a deeper realm than the president. Right. And so that's, that's another, like, as you keep pointing up is that the president is proven to be this kind of like, not so much powerless, but ineffectual character who's, who's, who's kind of just like the end goal of who's really is the kind of like puppet master, right? Who's like, well, not puppet master, sorry, but who's the puppet of a deeper operation. When look at Trump, he was a TV star. Yeah. He he became famous for having an awful reality TV show in which he fired people and then he became president. I mean, wag the dog. It's just like, Everything in this movie is exactly what happened. And this war in Ukraine is so perfect because it's like the perfect example of this media war where everything is mediated through these tightly controlled information channels. And like you have this idea that Russia is losing the war. Like that was the narrative for, for, for months at the beginning of this war, right? Russia's losing. Russia's on the verge of collapse. And, and Biden said, we're going to turn the ruble into rubble. Now the ruble is way stronger than it was before the beginning yeah. of the of this war in February. And the the euro is becoming rubble. And so like the West keeps saying that like Russia's losing in the media. The media narrative is completely detached from the reality of this war. It's, it's like wag the dog. It's like if you watch the media, the presentation of the war in Ukraine is completely detached from reality. Yeah. It's just as fake as the fake Albania yeah. war in yeah. wag the dog. Like they don't mention, for instance... The fact that the war began in 2014. Yeah. That when yeah. Russia sent its troops in in February with this special military operation, that was only a new phase of this war. Yeah. The U.S. started the war in 2014 by overthrowing the elected Ukrainian government in a coup. We have a leaked recording of top U.S. State Department official Victoria Nuland planning who the prime minister of yeah. Ukraine would be, all of the top officials would be, saying, you know, uh, Yats. Artsenia Yatsenuk is our guy. And then he becomes in charge, like, a few weeks later. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yats. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleet should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. So the U.S. orchestrates this coup and then backs all of these far-right extremists who start waging a war on the Donbass region in the east. According to the United Nations, 14,000 Ukrainians died from 2014 until the end of 2021. All of that history is conveniently erased. The billions of dollars the U.S. and Canada and Europe sent in weapons before February 2022, all of that's erased by the media. And instead, yeah. there's this media creation of like the Ukraine war, which is completely de- detached from reality. And it's just as fake yeah. as the Albania war in Wag the Dog. Well, I mean, it's what's, what's, what's extra sickening is the fact that you have like this very obvious proxy war that that people are cheering on in the name of sticking it to Putin, this bad guy. Like, it's like, do you really think that that's the way the world should work? Like, is that really, like, is is that your kind of like middle school idea of the world? And like, is that how little you care about other places? That like, because you hate 
this guy that doesn't have anything to do with your own life and your own country that you've you've determined that this guy who's popular in his own country more popular way more popular than the guy who leads your country and that's true for the countries that you and i both live in well you're from the u.s that like you're from whatever that like both like like vladimir putin has way more popular support like double than he does than the prime minister of my country who is the son of a former prime minister who won like a third of the votes but because of the nature of the canadian election system he like fluked his way to like a two-stage career like if that's not like a broken political system the latest poll joe biden has 31 percent wow. approval 60 percent disapproval that is putin literally has double, double his approval rating 70 it was 70 at one point it was 70 at one point i mean like like it's it's bonkers. But in Wag the Dog, right? In Wag the Dog, at the end of the movie, you find out that this president who, you know, is involved in this scandal, like with uh, sexually abusing this young girl, he has like over 80% approval rating yeah. because of That's, this fake war in Albania. Yeah. And it's like, go back to the Bush administration. Bush was extremely unpopular. He wages the war in Iraq, 9-11. He becomes super popular. I mean, that, that's exactly how this works. And what's interesting, like that, that the, the 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 weird thing underneath this too is that you have the belief that, like, there is this um, that the media is some kind of like, um, and it's true, I guess, is that the me that the idea of what we call the media is this is this mediating force between power and people, right? And like that's kind of where it's kind of. I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, but it feels like that's the way we like to think of what media does is that it's this articulating force between, say, the forces of power, which is why a guy like Bob Woodward exists, right? He's an access guy, right? He, he does, he writes those terrible books for toddlers, like every five minutes, and, but in exchange for access, for like going to these places and give, being given information. Now, a lot of the information is probably fake. He was a U.S. naval intelligence officer, which is what made it clear to the U.S. deep state that like, okay, this guy is one of us, He's, he's going to serve our interests. And then he became a journalist and continued playing that same role. Like, that's how this stuff works. Yeah. And it's, and it's part of a class of people. And so to see what's, what's kind of wrong about this movie is that there's a lot of antagonism set up. But, but mostly the, the press kind of very quickly fall in line. And that's actually, I think, pretty true in the sense that, like, because of the kind of, like, border collie nature of a lot of, like, liberals, like, they kind of just chase after whatever ball is thrown for them. And that ball is often in the hands of like the press secretary of the U.S., right? Like they have that kind of discursive power to throw a ball and a bunch of like morons with lanyards chase after it for X number of days. Now, I think I, one thing I've noticed in our, and as I've gotten older, is like that, that the, the interval of that period is a lot shorter. So like the, like, like a ball, you can only throw a ball and it'll last for like a day, right? Because the, you have to keep throwing balls out for these for these border collies and just throw or labrador like golden retriever whatever like you just keep throwing the balls and you have to keep coming back because you have to generate more especially now that there's so many more sources of information and some of them are antagonistic right like there is an antagonistic class of media people it's just their antagonism is purely affiliational right it's not principled it's just like my guy isn't in charge so i'm gonna go hard at this president so we saw that for four years when trump was president we we suddenly had a, a media class that had a backbone. Like all of a sudden they grew a backbone and like challenged Trump and whatever, or thought that they did. I mean, it, it only ended up helping him, I think, in the end, because his ability was to own the libs. So the more that the libs like, you know, got mad at him, the more that it worked out for him. Now, I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why he did lose, but I think the big one is COVID.
and but whatever that's that's another that's another conversation however what's interesting is that what the plot of the movie has this other plot is that this other plot inside of it which is dustin hoffman who's the producer his own inability to break out of the hollywood system and his own inability to break out of the laws of the hollywood system so like as you point out is that he refuses to accept that the president is in charge that this is his production right and they're all it brings all his funds but really what gets him into trouble is his refusal he says i want the credit right i want the credit for this the way that like a hollywood person would think right like i want the credit for this movie and one of his refrains throughout the whole movie is that producers never get credit for anything. Like they're yeah. never the director has There's like no a chair. Oscar for best producer. <laughs> yeah. But there is. It's called best picture. Producer accepts that, dummy. That's what the producer does. That's the best thing they get, and they're the last ones. That's the centerpiece. So, anyways, that was just flat out wrong. And here's a uh, here's a spoiler, of course, for for people watching. Spoiler alert. So he's so insistent on getting credit that the PR guy and the, the Secret Service turn against him and murder, murder him. him. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so unromanticized. Like, it's like one scene where he, like, gives the guy the nod because, you know, Robert De Niro warns him that, like, okay, you're playing with your life here. And he says it. And the guy, he storms off because he tries to, he thinks that he's in Hollywood. But for some, for a second, the realism ends. Like, the realism begins. Right. And he's like not protected by the fictionality of the culture industry, where suddenly like the violent nature of Washington power politics makes itself apparent. And it says that if you do this, there are serious consequences to you and your life that like if you break this law that you, we will not accept this among you. And like 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 and it's so unromantic, like he dies in the next scene. Like there's no there's no like Godfather where they go well, and chop the guy, the horse's that. head. Like there's yeah. no equivalent like, of that. It's just next. He's like he died of a heart attack. Well, yeah, there's no Khashoggi style <laughs> yeah. killing. It's just like it shows the next scene is Robert De Niro, the PR guy. Yes. He shows, shows up at his yeah. house for a, for a funeral, funeral and it's and it's on the media, right? Everything is mediated yeah. by the media. Yeah reality is there's no reality yeah. reality is created by the media i mean like that's what's so I, genius about but, this and the people yeah. who the people who murdered him are mourning him on tv yeah. as his friends yeah, right sick. And, i mean that's like the, the the like i mean it's funny you bring up khashoggi like that khashoggi was like he's a great yeah, example like he was the, the attempt to portray him as a martyr he was a cia asset who was working with qatar he in the 1980s he was working with Saudi intelligence and the CIA to support the Mujahideen. There's all these photos of him with the Mujahideen and like rocket launchers. He was loyal to a different faction of the royal family that, that got purged by MBS. He was a part of the wrong, he had the wrong loyalty to the wrong part of the family, but he was a complete puppet for the Saudi regime. He, he didn't care about democracy at Those all. Those articles were written by God CIA knows whom, it. the articles he wrote. And all, yeah, the and all of those, like, like probably some grad student or something, some PhD like me, like working silently for dollars in some room elsewhere. And like he's, and then watching all of his, his so-called colleagues perform a kind of mourning ritual for him. It's like, are you kidding me? Like you're in this dirty, dirty business like and like this is trump to trump's credit trump trump said all the things like oh this is fake news and he was right it is fake news now of course he's part of his own fake news which is hilarious but he's like oh their fake news is bad believe mine and it worked it worked on tens of millions of he, americans he's part of his own reality tv show that he creates and 
but he understands that you just create your own reality TV show. And the thing about Khashoggi is like, if you read Khashoggi's awful articles, he was like writing U.S. propaganda. I talked about this in a recent video and podcast I did about uh, Biden's Saudi so-called reset and all that propaganda. But but Khashoggi was like writing articles calling for breaking up Syria and carving it up on sectarian lines and saying like the U.S. should be the one that does this because the U.S. is the only responsible actor. Like that's the kind of propaganda he was writing. And he was turned through this media propaganda into like this great martyr for freedom. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly, it shows the power of the, the media apparatus. I mean, they really do create It also reality. shows the contradictions because on the one hand you have, there is a Saudi, and I say this a lot on the show, on, on my show is that like, there is a, like there are rival information warfare tactics, right? That like rival parties that all have a foothold in America that had different interests, sometimes, sometimes coinciding, other times not conflicting. And Syria was one of them, whereby the Qatari Turkish wing of it, he was a part of, that he then got himself mixed up against the Saudi wing of that dirty war. And he was a victim of that contradiction. And so because he like, joined the faction that was against MBS and they they and then what was crazy is that like his death was then exploited was then it's like it's like they took the dead corpse of his guy and jammed him into the same machine that killed him and like reused his meat for like anti-Saudi stories which is exactly what they did like Sweeney Todd yeah. prop, imperial because propaganda. first it was for Syria and God knows what it was using it like he was some puppet he was some Arab comprador face there's a lot of them and that you can just kind of, and then he was used for anti-Saudi stuff. They used his corpse. I mean, these, these, these are these normie blue check media people. This is the cutthroat world. Like they're every bit as violent as the despots that they supposedly cover. But because that violent is like mediated through words and discourse, right? That it's somehow not deemed to be violent. That like, you know, all these, like all these liberal journals running through Syria through these occupied parts embedded with like right-wing Salafi journalists who then some uh, rival versions of those go off and kill them, right? That like all the interceding parties of, of Syria that they grabbed from everywhere, the cavalcade of scum that they recruited from everywhere. Yeah, a lot of them are going to fight with each other, it turns out. And sometimes those, they use the journalists that are, that are deployed to help sell the dirty war as say a civil war, right? That then they get turned on and they're used as like, okay, we're going to chop this person's head off. This person's like, whatever, Marie Colvin or whatever, like classic example, right? She was warned, don't go into these areas. We can't protect you. And look what happened. Like, you know, and then like, this is, this is the dirty business of being part of these dirty wars. And we, because of the liberal media, because the liberal media has a stake in manufacturing these people as courageous actors on the front line right like this romantic photojournalist arc like it turned into the romantic vlogger right like because they have a stake in 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 manufacturing this image they create these martyrs they create these martyrs in the sense that oh like they were a minor figure in their lives and then turned into great martyrs right so like the story of daniel pearl right daniel pearl's legacy was used to wage more war right? Like that guy's death was used, was to called upon to wage more and more. Like that's the reality, the sickening, war-addicted, parasitic imperialist system that we live in, is that in the end, everything will get turned into this kind of like sludge 
for that will fed into the war machine. So like Ukrainian Ukrainian refugees will be forced to make TikToks where they like talk about like how evil Putin is while they're sitting in some like refugee camp somewhere like being miserable. Although their refugee conditions have been much much better. Like their their refugee plight has been very much. I mean, we know this and everything. I'm glad you mentioned TikTok because you know those reports of the White House is like briefing yeah. TikTokers on how to talk about the Ukraine war. That is like how to spread anti-Russian propaganda on behalf of the U.S. empire. I mean, it's so perfect. It's wag the dog again. The U.S. government is spending its resources talking to teenagers on TikTok to help them spread information war against Russia. It's so perfect. There's, there's a contradiction here too, like a philosophical contradiction is because like a, there's a famous Princeton study where they kind of measured the amount of impact that an American citizen has on their elected officials, which is to say like how Democrat, and it's like zero, it's like nothing. They have zero influence. So then you have to ask yourself, why do the people, do the scum, evil, you know, mustache twirling, like, like nut jobs who, who cook these things up, why is it? Why does it matter to them that people sign on to this? Like, I honestly wonder that. Like, what difference does it make that like John Q, like whatever John Q, like it's administrator at the local school board, puts a Ukraine flag on his car and donates one dollar of his grocery store purchase? Like, what does it matter to them? Like, what this guy thinks? Like, I, I really wonder that sometimes. Like, do you have an answer to that question? <laughs> No, I mean, I think I agree with you that the point of manufacturing consent is to target people, especially people who are left leaning, right? Because you don't need to manufacture consent for the right wing. The, this, the, the audience for a lot of this propaganda is domestic. You hit that, you said that earlier, and it's exactly right. It's not for people around the world. It's for the, it's to manufacture consent among the domestic population, especially young people who are often more skeptical of authority and people who are left-leaning. So, I mean, Wag the Dog is also a good example with the fact that it's, it's touching in, into Hollywood and the power of these movies and TV shows. I mean, think about really popular TV shows like Stranger Things, a very well-done show. Immediately, clearly, it was very popular and the U.S. government was like, we could use this as propaganda. Out of nowhere, in, in, in season three, it suddenly becomes like an insane anti-Russian show. Out of nowhere. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, it, it took on terrible. The and then all the cliches of like, oh, the Soviet guy loves American cartoons and Pepsi Cola. Yeah, and then and then oh. season four. So season three is straight up anti-Russian propaganda. Season four, they go to the Soviet Union. And it's just like insane anti-Soviet and anti-Russian propaganda. Russiagate. It's Russiagate like, ate at the writers of that show. I mean, what's crazy is that Russiagate itself is Wag the Dog. They cooked it up on the night of her yeah, election. It is Wag the Dog. Eating pizza and drinking beer. They were like, how are we going to spin this? They're like, oh, blame Russia. Like, you think it's made up, but it's true. Well, this, bounty gate. Oh, yes. Remember, Russia is paying the Taliban bounties yes. to kill U.S. That. soldiers because clearly they weren't motivated to kill the people occupying their country for 20 years. And then, of course, a few months later, after they used that media fake story, to try to block the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, a few months it, it came, the CIA admitted, "Oh, actually, yeah, uh, that was a fake story. There yeah. was no evidence of like, that. It was way yeah, or like yeah, wait, wait, Havana syndrome. Like it's all like like every. Like, oh my you, god! I mean, I know you are in this. We're in this business too of like 
doing the angel of history thing of just looking at the rubble and like talking about it. But like, at, at what point do you be like, am I, am I the only sane person here that sees this? Like, like, am I, <laughs> am I actually losing my mind that like on the local, you know, um, classical station in my town, they're like, Zelensky's man, serve a man of the people, servant of the now available on Netflix. And it's like, Oh, I know. Like, why am I hearing about, why am I, why am I hearing like cheap, corny advertisement for the proxy puppet leader in this proxy war led by the US. Like, why am I hearing that when I just, I want Tchaikovsky or something? Oh, Tchaikovsky's banned now. Tchaikovsky's banned now for being Russian. They did that. Oh my God. It's so fucking stupid. We live in the stupidest era of human history and our cursed task in life. I mean, you have to put that gif in from, from Clockwork Orange. Like, this is our task in life is to just force our eyes open and stare at it and be like, am I crazy for, for seeing this stuff that like we knew, like they, they openly admitted that Russiagate was cooked up over pizza and beer. And we still live through four years of it. We live through four years. Sina, you, you'd appreciate this as a, a PhD in comp lit, uh, you, you know, in Candide by uh, Voltaire, there's that, that candidate um, Pan, Pangloss, who's always like, we live in the best of all possible worlds. We live in the best of all possible worlds. I often, I often take that in its, on its head, right? We live in the stupidest of all possible <laughs> yeah. worlds where we had a reality TV show president, Donald Trump. Now we have a senile, yeah. like, like just, uh, walking yeah. zombie who's our president. And then we have Zelensky, who's like wag the dog fake TV president. I mean, we live in the stupidest we, of all and possible it, and worlds. And it's just getting stupider. Your, Europe is trying to destroy Russia and it's destroying itself. It's owning itself more than Russia could ever imagine, could ever. Like just all these pensioners freezing in their homes or baking like, like, like crusty souffle in, their, in the house in south of France after everything that Sarkozy- you know, Russia's making more money than ever before. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And we're supposed to sit here and call this democracy. I mean, this is the nutty thing. Like they call this democracy. They call this like- freedom there's a few small things i wanted to mention also in this movie that we had to talk about so uh first of all i mean there's the obvious fact that you know they pick albania which i mean it's a muslim largely muslim country and this was before the war on terror so it shows that this like islamophobic narrative was still very deep in u.s culture in the 1990s this is 1997 right and i thought that was also really funny i had to mention this with you because you know albania is now the host of the mek Yes, like yes, the, the anti-Iran cult, the MEK <laughs> yes, is based in true. Albania. Albania right? is one of these sad, yeah. And they are also like a wag yeah. the dog creation. They're this insane fanatical cult that like the the the, the founder, what's Masoud his name? Rajavi. Um, yeah. He's dead, but but they act but yeah, but they act as though he's yeah. still alive. Yeah. And like his wife is in charge, and they all just like wag the dog style. They pretend that he's really yeah. alive. And some of their followers obviously believe that he's still alive, even though he's clearly dead. And like, it's this insane cult where like they don't allow people to be in relationships. Yeah. They're they, forced to write their sexual thoughts in a journal. It's all very, it's like, um, it's as freaky as Scientology, but funded by Saudis and pushed by Zionists. Like it's- And, and, the US and they're Marxists the also. Did I mention that part? Like they're Marxist-Leninists. Well, well, they used to be- they used to be, but then they like in the 1990s, they just became neoliberals and they said they support the free market. And then the U.S. was like, OK, we'll support you now. 
Like, and yeah, I forgot about that connection. Albania, yeah, that's true. Albania, Tirana is now the hosting these freaks. And then I had to mention this also, Sina, as you know, as our honorary Canadian here. Also, the fact that it's so funny they don't even think about it. They're, they just they're like they start jeopardizing Canada's uh, policy by saying, "All right, so what we're going to say is this Albanian terrorist flew to Canada with a suitcase um, nuclear bomb." And he's on the Canadian border and they don't consult with Canada. Obviously, they don't consult with Albania. They don't care about Albania, but they don't even think for a second. Like, maybe we should talk yes, to the Canadian no. prime minister. No, we're just going to throw Canada no. in here and threaten Canada with all of this. What the, CIA, the encounter with the CIA was funny because the CIA, like, like if they didn't want this, to, like the, the thought that the CIA wouldn't have been involved with this is also, I think, very, very wrong. Is that like this kind of upper... Well, no, 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 Sina, I actually... I agree that, no, I agree this is realistic because the CIA at first didn't know about it oh, and they were true, angry. Yeah. And then once they figured out about that's it, they're like, true. okay, that is we're true. fine. That is correct. You yeah. just have to tell they us. Didn't, they didn't like not being asked. You have to tell asked, us what's going on. Which is actually, and it's so funny that like William H. Macy shows up with this like G-Men outfit. It's the most cliched image. And they like stop them somewhere and they kind of have to talk themselves out of it. God, this movie is so good. It is, every scene is so good. And oh god, I can't get over it. I want to watch it again. I watched it three times. Cena, you another good point I wanted to make. You mentioned like the press officers. Again, we live in Wag the Dog. The the White House press officer, Jen Saki, she left the White House and she was the White House press officer. She's now yeah. a pundit on MSNBC MSNBC. Yeah, MS, yeah. Jen Saki. Yeah. And by the way, the State Department spokesman, Ned Price is a former CIA agent, former in scare quotes, former CIA agent, and he resigned from the CIA in protest under Trump. And he's like, I'm an openly gay CIA agent. I resigned from the CIA because Trump, big, bad, orange boogeyman. And he wrote an article in the Washington Post. It's like, once again, wag the dog, man. We live in wag the yeah, dog. And I guess, yeah, I guess the thing is that there's more there's more factionalism in like the American deep state and they do fight with each other. And actually in this movie, they show that in the sense that the rival who's running who's running against him for president against the incumbent president is that he tries to he tries to kind of like benefit from the situation and tries to take control discursively of the situation by saying oh albania has stood down and so like the the task of the movie is to get everyone involved in the distraction as much as possible and that's actually what happened with iraq that the wmd thing was a complete not just a fabrication but here's the thing if iraq had wmds they wouldn't have invaded, okay? So in action, because that's the whole point of having WMDs is that you stop them from invading, right? So like the very, the very, uh, the very premise itself was contradictory and we were forced to participate in it. We were forced like at discursive gunpoint to say, oh no, Iraq doesn't have WMDs. It's fake, it's fake. Because, and then underneath that, we're supposed to do the underlying logic of the right to protect and the right to intervene, right? Is that underneath that, that you're supposed to saying that, is that, oh, because there is this bad actor, the world's hegemon needs to intervene. So we're debating that point, whether or not Iraq is the big bad actor. And even that was the, like the so-called anti-war left, like that was the talking point. It was that, oh, it's not as bad of an actor as you think. It wasn't that, oh, war is bad. This is an empire. Don't, I mean, of course, some people were saying that, but the predominant kind of like the liberal, force of that resist so-called resistance to bush it was purely on the principles of oh this doesn't satisfy the empire's needs of 
of falling in, right? Like, cause that's cause Kosovo is is in the background of this movie, right? And that's actually what this movie is kind of calling up is that the right to protect and the right to intervene. Well, and right. the Gulf War, yeah, and, and the, the Gulf War in particular. Like, there's there's a part where they even mention the Gulf War. I wrote this down actually. The the presidential assistant, like this young woman, she's like, wait, but what you're saying about Albania is not true. And then De Niro's character, the, the PR guy, he says. Well, it doesn't matter that it's not true. What about the Gulf War? He names the Gulf War. So it's exactly, you know, babies and in incubators, right? I mean, that, that, that was real. Like the U.S. government falsely claimed that, that the Iraqi military, after, after invading Kuwait, after the U.S. Gained, gave Iraq the green light to invade Kuwait, then the U.S. claimed that the Iraqi soldiers were going to, into hospitals and taking uh, um, Kuwaiti babers, babies out of incubators and leaving them on the ground to die. And that lie was first spread by the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador. Of course, they didn't mention that. She testified in Congress and then all the media outlets spread that lie. I mean, the Gulf War is a classic example of this wag the dog scenario. And then, of course, there's the Libya war with the false claims spread by Hillary Clinton that Gaddafi was giving Viagra to his soldiers, encouraging them to abuse women. And, you know, the, the chemical attacks in Syria and the white helmets. I mean, you can go on the list, the Gulf of Tonkin. Like, it's all a big yeah, wag the you're, dog. You're, you, like, try to not be the guy who's like, it's all a big lie, and we're all subject to this lie, because you're like, no, it can't be like that. Like, no, no, it is like that, and it's actually worse, because the people who are lying also say what they're doing. They narrate their own lies and laugh as they're doing it. Because it's, it, whereas in the Wag the Dog movie, there is this veneer of reality that they put on, right? That like, oh, that this fictional war is in fact like non-fictional, right? Uh, whereas here they're saying that, oh no, this is all a big scam. Like we know this, we know it's all fake and you know, like it's okay and you can just agree with it. And whether, and, and the fact is, and going back to that study, that Princeton study is that whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. We're going to enact these things. We have the cold political power in this country to do these things and we're going to do it and try to stop us, which is essentially what happened with Iraq. Right, that like the country was was mostly against it. Uh, even the bloodthirsty American imperialists were mostly against it, at least population. But who ever said that American population determines foreign policy? When has that ever been the case? Right, is that this is the like in those moments like this where you have to do like the Karl Popper thing, like the falsifiability of something. Like it's like it's openly clear that this is false. Like you can say that like the principles of liberal imperialism are false. That like, and it was funny that at the end of the movie that there is this news report. You should probably clip it in because it turns out they do go back to Albania after all. That there is this like military. Well, no. What I love about that ending, Cena, is it's an, it's deliberately ambiguous. It's a brilliant ending because at the end of the movie, of course, the the president. Spoiler alert: the president wins re-election. He stays in power. And then at the end of the movie, they say that there was a, a terrorist bombing by an Albanian group. But what I love about it is you don't know if it's real or if it's another manufactured media scandal because the movie to taught you that you never know if it's real. It's everything satire. Like it just nailed it. Yeah. It's perfectly ambiguous. It's, and it, they don't provide any answer. They just leave it on that ambiguous note because that's how our reality is. It's that ambiguous. Like the exposition of the movie, they accomplish it through a news clip. That like you're always and the idea of the news itself, it's so crazy. Like, oh, we're just holding up a mirror to the day's events. Like you give us 30 minutes, we'll give you the world. Right. And like as opposed to like the reality, which is like every second of the news is is pre-purchased in a sense. 
by vested interest and it might not be direct and it might be not so crass. Sometimes it is crass that you can see that like, you know, one clear channel, like represent, you know, that like all those, like, like when you're listening to like a ro- local radio station, a so-called local radio station, all those like news tidbits are fed to them, right? That like, oh, today is international like sofa chair day where you're supposed to whatever, like all that shit is just sent to them. Like it's delivered to them that in the most Soviet of ways possible, but because it's a private corporation doing it and be- that, it's, that it's okay, right? That it makes sense to us. That it's like, oh, it's just marketing. That like our news is marketing and it's just, and it's just done by different means and it's manufactured for us as this thing called news. But we all know that it's just like marketing. I mean, what's crazy now is that news, at least local news, is basically like, here's what was popular on social media today. Like, here's what went viral. Here's a video of a bear throwing a Frisbee. Like, like, like that's it. That's like the, la- the second half of the news today is like what was popular on Facebook because that's like the mediation. It's like the snake eating its own tail of, of representation. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like the corporate media Ouroboros from hell or something. But Cena, on this point of, you know, the corporate media just amplifying these fake stories that, that are like rumors in social media or whatever. I mean, there's another parallel to the war going on in Ukraine, the proxy war against Russia, that is so uh, accurate in this movie, Wag the Dog. There's this part where the, you know, the president's team falsely creates this story of this guy, William Schumann, this soldier who's supposedly caught behind enemy lines in Albania in this fake war. And then they, they find this, this prisoner named William Schumann. He's not actually a soldier. He's a straight up crazy prisoner. And there's this part where the media gets leaked a photo of him supposedly captured behind enemy lines in Albania. And he has a sweater on and the sweater has Morse code And supposedly in Morse code, it says, courage, mom, courage, mom. And then that becomes the slogan, right? That everyone repeats, they like spray paint, courage, mom, it's on all the media. And this is exactly like this fake story at Snake Island, right? Remember? A completely fake story where Ukrainian soldiers allegedly were going to be massacred by Russia on Snake Island. And they allegedly, they they supposedly said, F-U Russian ship or Russian ship FU. And now that's become like the slogan that you see all over like on media outlets, on social media, like spray painted Russian ship FU. It's a completely fake story, just like Albania in Rag the Dog or the uh, ghost of Kiev. Remember that? Like there's a story like this, this Ukrainian pilot, completely fake story. And then also another fake story of like a they use this video game footage and they said it was like Russia bombing Ukraine. Like those are three blatantly fake stories that were spread all across mainstream media, just like Wag the Dog. I mean, just as fake as the Albania war in Wag the Dog. I mean, that the, the goal, I think, I think ultimately like the, to answer my own question about like, what's the point of convincing John Q school board employee, like of the importance of, of, of Zelensky? But like I think it's like it's more to do with the fact that like you shovel enough bullshit into the public sphere, just shovel it all out. It doesn't mean anything. You just shovel it out and it keeps everyone busy. Right? That like the and it just and you can you can block out any of the noise that any freaks like you and me might bring up of like, oh yeah, there was this thing called a proxy war, like, oh yeah, there was this thing called a coup. That like if you can just shovel enough shit 
that's enough for most people who kind of like we're we're the exception to people like in the sense that like we care about the news we're we're what that means is we're crazy we're crazy enough to care yeah we're crazy for doing this stuff and it's like our job to do this masochist stuff. it's like our professional domain exactly but it's like but most people don't care it's like passive to them their lives are are hard enough and that the outside world like i met a person i mean this was like in rural northern ontario i like they're like where are you from and i was like iran they're like what's that like they had never heard of iran before like and it was like it was actually nice it was actually like refreshing i was like oh this is nice that some of the propaganda didn't get to you uh like you never heard of like this person never heard of not without your daughter without without my daughter like good that's nice you know like they start from zero um like that was but like most people don't care like most people do not care about this stuff they don't pay attention that it's just periphery for them and that like the few who do watch 30 minutes of like some national news broadcaster, like in Canada at CBC, like that's enough for them. And like the last 15 minutes are a mixture of ads and feel good yeah. stories that are like, you know, that it's like, oh, here's the bad news. And here's like, it's like us. We did our vegetables first and then we had our dessert. <laughs> you know, like, well, like, see, you know what it. this also reminds me of is there's this phenomenon that the CIA has sometimes talked about in its documents where the CIA creates so much fake news and information warfare. That I mean, they created disinformation, quite literally. They created the tactic. And then the CIA, sometimes its own so-called intelligence for the president and other you know, government officials is actually sometimes polluted by the very same fake news they created. They, they actually sometimes don't even know it's real. It's amazing. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and then you can, because you, you always win. It doesn't, there's no connection to something called reality. Yeah. Like we really... We really want, and this was the, the Trump era was full of this, was a bull, full of like thousands, possibly tens of thousands of these Anglophone liberals, all far flung places of the earth, mostly America, but in other places who were trawling through everything. Like the, the guy, the, the Toronto Star guy who got bumped up to New York Times guy or Washington Post guy, Daniel something. He like followed Trump everywhere and like wrote down all of his lies. And it's like, do you really think this will change anything? You think that like, you think, that, and first of all, they never did that for Obama, which they should have. Of course they didn't. But let's say you track all of Trump's lies. Like what then? Do you think like it matters to either him, his supporters, and more importantly, the political ghouls who control him? Do you think it matters that he lied or is a hypocrite? Do you think it matters? And it's like this belief in liberals that, oh, that there is this leader out there. There is this, there is this general out there, this Cincinnati international who's order. Be, yeah, that, that like that just if you just have the right like ethical subject, ethical individual who's doing that work, that somehow that this good thing will evolve. And that was the Obama's work. Obama was he was tasked with redeeming the U.S. empire, and that's what he did. That was his success. He they took they took Bush, who was this evil character, who was the son of evil, right? And they transformed it. They changed it. They put this new, they, they changed it. They put this new avatar and they called it Obama. And like, you know, he threw a couple of, he threw a couple of bones to his domestic audience. In the end, it didn't prove to be much. Obamacare didn't last. Right. And like all the union things were clawed back in the first year, environmental elections. Like it was all just a veneer of democratic sort of social democratic agenda. But in the end, he continued the same imperialist policies the same thing trump did he continued them too same thing biden did right it's not hillary clinton's white house but it doesn't matter it does because ultimately in the end the u.s empire is this cruise ship and it's just hurtling towards 
your its an own iceberg. destination. Something that it created. An iceberg that, 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 that it, it created. <laughs> yeah. and, like, that. I mean, and, and you I'm just you, are forced to sit and watch. I'm glad you mentioned Obama because there's another part in this movie. I'm almost done with my notes here, but there was a part where they, they, uh, they, they're like, maybe we should give the president a Nobel Peace Prize, right? And then Robert De Niro is like, well, if Henry Kissinger could get one. And then I was like, well, this was made in the 1990s. I was like, well, if Obama could get one. Remember, Obama got a yeah. Nobel Peace Prize just for being elected. He didn't do anything. Just for not being Bush. Yeah. yeah. He got elected. And it's yeah. like, well, if Obama could get a Nobel Peace Prize with the coup in Honduras, the war in Yemen, the war in Syria, the war in Libya, the war in Afghanistan he didn't end, then, then yeah, this, this president whose face we never see, this faceless president who starts the fake war in Albania, he should get a Nobel Peace Prize too because it's just like, that's how Ill illegitimate it is. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. In conclusion, nothing is real. Nothing is real. We live in we live in the worst of all simulations, where we know that it's a simulation, and yet we all are forced to abide by its like stupid Star Trek holograph. I, I have two final notes here, Sino. One, at, toward the end of the movie, when there's like the people showing like the popular enthusiasm for hating Albania. There's this guy with like an F Albania t-shirt and it shows like how, I mean, this, this like hatred of Iran or Iraq or Venezuela or China or Ayatollah, Russia. Asahola. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, it's completely, it's all just completely manufactured. These people don't, don't know anything about Iran or China or Russia. Yeah. They just, they're just taught to hate these countries. And you can see that with like polls of China. Now it's like a majority have negative views. I mean, this is, you know, yeah. George Bush met with Putin and was like, I saw in his eyes. And I saw he has a soul. And it's like, I mean, they just completely flip on a dime when it's convenient for the U.S. empire. And then the media tells everyone, you have to hate this country. And then they hate it. And then they buy t-shirts yeah. that say like F Albania. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. No, yeah. I saw on my, like at the corner, one of the busiest intersections of Toronto, there were five pro-Ukrainian. I'm, I'm assuming at least a few of them were Ukrainian. Um, but they were all pro-Ukrainian, obviously. And one of them said, kill Putin. Like literally, like if you did that with any, like if you, if a Palestinian did that with a leader, if they said like kill Netanyahu or something, they would be arrested on the spot. They would be arrested and they would have possibly terrorism charges put against them, right? Like you can't fly a flag of Hezbollah, like in, in this country, in the UK, in the US, right? Like they'll literally come after you for like material support of, of, of terrorists, right? But like, that's what they'll do. They will go hard against, and yet you are allowed to say like, kill the leader of this foreign country, right? Like you're allowed to openly say that, like openly advocate for murder of these like international leader, which in effect would start World War Three as well. Just just to mention that also. I mean, it's crazy. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. You know, when, when I see people hell. like that with Ukraine, they love Ukraine. It's like uh, you know, like the the hipster albums joke, but it's like, okay, you love Ukraine. Uh, what name your your three favorite presidents aside from Zelensky? Yeah, yeah. Who was the last president yeah. before Zelensky? I love Poroshenko. <laughs> Finally, my my oh, last man. note here, Cena, is one of my favorite moments in this movie. Wag the dog. Great note to end on. The Hollywood producers. This is part where he's writing the speech for the president. Perfect moment. He's literally writing the president's speech. We never see the president's face. And this Hollywood producer is sitting in the president's desk in the Oval Office, and he gives this speech, like to, to like to the audience that's listening. And then all these 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 people come out; they're crying at how beautiful the speech was. And then he says, after that scene, the Hollywood producer walks out of the Oval Office, and he says, 
I felt so much at home. I could have gone this way. It's only a change of wardrobe. And that's true. Yeah, like it's true. the only it's true. difference between these Hollywood actors and the president is a suit. That's it. I mean, Trump was a game show host and he remained a game show host. Like he remained a game show. And, and the thing about Trump is, and he stayed. And he always understood that it's a, it's a game show and that he creates his own reality. And the, and what, what I wanted to conclude this episode with is this article from the Atlantic magazine, 2009, title, We're an Empire Now, and When We Act, We Create Our Own Reality. That's the famous quote from a senior advisor to President Bush. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. That is the reality. That's the truth of the U.S. empire and the media, which is his hand, the handmaiden of empire. Like whatever dream world you want to live in, you can just dream it up and make it on demand. And if you want to like shut up, like overnight, they expelled all these Russian institutions. All they, they orchestrated a major like economic boycott, like things that harmed the bottom lines of major corporations, things that like went against the interests of say TikTok or these big department stores or oil companies They went against their interest. Maybe not oil companies, but like, like it, tech companies, for instance, like they lost, they lost stuff. They lost employees. They lost markets, right? Like at a time when their own like business models are suffering, like they had to take, they had to take it from the U.S. deep state and say, oh, we're doing this now. So it's like, it's, it's so crazy to then turn around and have most of us think that, oh, we live in a democracy where every periodically we go and have our say and our politicians do our bidding or they represent our bidding, right? Like it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Ben Norton, friend of the podcast, patron of the podcast, longtime guest of the podcast. Thank you. These were amazing. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thanks, Sina. For people who don't know, I guess this is this episode's kind of like a joint episode because I'm going to be posting it at Multipolarista. Uh, this is Sina Ramani, who's an awesome, great podcaster, troublemaker. Uh, your your handle is at your orientalist. You are orientalist, right? Yeah, you are orientalist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great friend of the show. And I guess, you know, uh, I've been following his show from the very beginning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll be editing this. So if you're watching this or listening to this, it could be on his show, East is a Podcast. It could be on my YouTube channel, uh, Multipolarista. And because of censorship, I'm, it's pr- going to be backed up on uh, Rockfin, Rumble, and Odyssey. So, yeah, I mean, Oh yeah, we might you might get demonetized for this probably, right? Well, yeah. Um, well, I guess this is the end of the episode, so people probably recognize. I'm not going to use the audio. The secret is to not use the audio from the movie to use the video. That's why I read the quotes instead of showing the quotes, because if you use the video, they won't demonetize it. But if you use the audio, they'll not only will they demonetize it, they'll actually like ban it in certain countries. I thought that, but I thought they'll just demonetize it because we did thought crime. Because we're endorsing Russia. They might do that. Because of that, because we're talking about Russia and Ukraine and propaganda, they'll probably demonetize it just because of that. But I don't, I don't want them to ban it because of intellectual property or whatever. I mean, these are the fascists that, that rule us. Yeah, the techopoly that we have to navigate. It's crazy. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me, Sina. It was a great conversation. Very fun. I'm glad we could do this. This is my first time on your show, I realized. Yeah, well, you'll be back many, many, many more times. Yeah. Take care, Ben. You too.